Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's me, Shonda, from the Labors of Love podcast, and I'm super excited to be here with y'all today. Shout out to my co-host, Hedy Nam, who's not with me today, but my guest and I are going to have an amazing conversation. She's a singer, songwriter, playwright, and a music director. Today, my guest is Sherry McComley. Hi, Sherry. How are you? McCamley. I'm good. I'm good. Yes, you got it. Sherry McCamley. Camley. (laughs) So glad to have you with us today. And so I'm going to start with you, like I do all of our guests, and ask, what is your labor of love? My labor of love is a show I wrote with uh, my writing partner, Kathy Springfield, called She's Crazy, Mental Health and Other Myths. Um, My daughter is also in it. Kathy and I wrote the original show. We got a grant from the city of Cincinnati to write a show about mental health and addiction issues, but we, we didn't want it to be like a dry lecture or whatnot. And since my background is in cabaret singing a lot and theater and all that, um, and Kathy's background is she's a director and a writer and all that kind of thing. Um, we decided to make it a cabaret style show. So we have songs and stories that we tell. Um, When Kathy and I first wrote the show, it was just the two of us um, because we, when we were getting to know each other as theater people, we just, you know, met as we all do in theater. I mean, everybody knows everybody, it seems, or has some kind of connection. You know, it's that whole six degrees of seven, uh, Kevin Bacon or whatever it is. <laughs> but um, Kathy and I knew a lot of people in, com- in common, but we hadn't met each other at first. But um, then we did like, oh, this is good grief, like 15 years ago or so. Anyway, um, as we were getting to know each other, we found we had a lot in common in our families. And there was a lot of um, mental health and addiction issues in both families. And, um, you know, we talked about it and we're like, you know, I've never told anybody this kind of thing. And we kind of thought, you know, we're, we're writers and theater people. We ought to do a show about this because people don't talk about these issues. There's so much stigma surrounding mental health issues and addiction issues. So we decided to write a show. We got a grant and uh, we wrote it. And then about a year later, we added my daughter, Erin, because she too has some issues, as we all do in families. Um, And we also thought we should have like a a younger person in the show. Uh, We're kind of the two moms and then Aaron's in the show, my daughter. And because we've done it at a lot of schools and a lot of colleges. And uh, so we wanted a younger person in it as well. And um, that's my labor of love. We've been doing the show since 2015, but 
we have changed it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've changed it a lot because unfortunately the statistics on mental health issues have changed in the wrong direction as far as I'm concerned. Um, like for instance, when we first started doing the show, I I was shocked to to find out that um, suicide was the second leading cause of death in the age group 15 to 24. Yeah. That was bad enough, right? But then um, we found out a few years ago uh, that suicide is now the second leading cause of death in the age group 10 to 24. 10 year olds. Can you imagine? Yeah. So I'm going to pause you for a second because while I hear that your labor of love is the screenplay is 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 uh, not the screenplay sorry the the play that you wrote right underneath that i hear so much more not more to minimize the play but so much that you are giving people through your play so when you consider the um, the impact of having someone come to a school and put on a play where a young person might go, oh my God, that's my family. Oh my goodness, that's my auntie. Oh my God, that's my mom, right? To be able to see aspects of family that many of us were told what happens in the house stays in the house, right? Exactly. You don't go out there telling our business. And then all of a sudden these three women come in and it's like they've been hiding on a shelf in the house telling all your business there in some ways I would imagine that has so many dynamic such a dynamic impact on the people who watch so before we go on into I have so many inquiries and curiosities (laughs) but before we go there I'm curious like where I hear the root of the play was when you got together with your writing partner, you met each other and you started to share vulnerably and it's like, man, we should do something about this. But where would you say maybe, um, what am I asking? I'm, I think I'm asking like, I know plenty of people who are gifted to write and to create, but they don't necessarily always use it in a way that can bring healing and and things to people. Where do you think that's rooted for you? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I guess from doing music, I've always been in music and theater came in high school, but I mean, I've been playing piano since I was six years old. Mm. And I always found that um, growing up in the family that I did, I, there was a lot of dysfunction as we talk about in our show And uh, I always found music to be um, my safe space. Mm -hmm. I would go and just sit and play piano and make up little tunes and things. And no matter what was going on in my family, it always made me feel better. And then when Kathy and I were talking about the whole issue of of mental illness and, and the stigma and all that, we we just, we felt like we needed, there were so many things we needed to express. First of all, we just had an inner need to express the pain we felt, but also the healing and to show people you can come through this. Mm. 
because as we talked and then as we we shared more um we found that it seems like everybody has a story um you know you were talking about the impact of the show when we started doing the show the first thing that really hit us was what happened after the show not even just during the show but every time we do the show we have people come up to us afterwards and thank us and want to tell us their story yes. and they say i always thought it was just me i you know i always felt alone but wow you guys have come through the same things and we want to show people you know you you can leave a, you can lead a a full productive life and still deal with these issues you know that's so beautiful because what i heard you say which is a theme of the podcast that like keeps coming back well a couple of themes one we needed this and i yeah. think in our culture we are we are so conditioned around productivity yes that people are constantly asking questions well what what does the market need who hmm. are you marketing to what do they need well let's start with what do i need because what I can guarantee is what you need, someone else needs too. Even if you don't know they need it, even if they haven't expressed that they need it, even if those people aren't in your immediate circle, somebody out there needs it. So I love that it started with, we needed to express this. I say oh, yeah. all the time, this podcast is for me. Now, <laughs> the fact that other people will listen and get something for it, great. But I even want to take it back a little bit further to you saying as a child, when all these things were happening in your family and in your environment, you would sit down at that piano and you would play music. And what's so amazing about that is one, all, all these things that maybe wasn't really known then, but we know now is the vibrations of music are healing Yes, it can be healing. The fact that you could feel the music because playing an instrument doesn't just mean that you're a recipient of the music, but you're an active participant in its healing qualities. And I can imagine as a little girl just being able to sit there and, and have this, I don't know, companion. And oh, yeah, is so beautiful. So to folks out there who are listening, I think one of the things is um, and if I'm wrong about this, Sherry, let me know. But Sherry used what she had at her dis at, at her disposal. And it became not just something that would lead to a career or a hobby. We love to call things hobbies instead of sometimes realizing that underneath them, they are our, our life jacket, our, our life source that is bringing in so much healing. So especially if you're around children, pay attention to what they are paying attention to. Don't yeah. minimize the things that they're doing. Or a thing that often happens is we see, ooh, oh, Sherry's playing the piano. Then then parents and caregivers start going, ooh, how do we help them get better? How do we help them make money at it? How do we, right? We we prostitute out our children more than we realize, but that's a whole different podcast for a whole different subject. But <laughs> yes. yes, so people are coming up to you and, oh, that was the third point. Thank you. <laughs> I guess thank you to me for saying that. Um, <laughs> When we tell our story, we invite others to tell theirs too. Oh, that's definitely true. And we, when we first did the show, 
Well, first of all, we we are telling our stories. We made a conscious decision to not write a scripted play that we were playing other characters. Mm. We we talked about it. And like, for instance, Kathy tells a story about a suicide attempt of hers. And at first she was very, very um, not against it, but just fearful of telling mm. that story because she had never told anyone, let alone an audience, you know, of people that you don't know. And the two of us, you know, we just thought, well, the whole point here is get people talking, reduce the stigma. We have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to tell our stories in order for other people to be willing to tell theirs and to be open about it. And so we, but the first couple of shows we did, we had, we were scared to death. We had no idea what the reaction would be um, if people would accept it you know, openly or if they would be <laughs> repelled or whatever. Um, but we also use a lot of humor in the story, in our in our play, just to get people comfortable to listen, because then we delve into some pretty serious subjects. But um, we were very pleasantly surprised by the reaction. We have been embraced by everybody who sees the show. It's It was so rewarding to us and it, it continues to be the most rewarding part of the show is is having other people respond so well to it and um well for instance when we first did our show um we had a lot of friends that came to the first show to support us and there were people so there were probably half the audience we knew uh, in some capacity but I, I found out that a musician friend of mine who I'd played in a bunch of pits, orchestra pits with, and I never knew there was anything in his background as far as mental health issues or whatever. I got an email from him four months later saying, Sherry, I just want to let you know, you probably saved my life. Mm. I was severely depressed. I've been struggling with depression for 20 years. I was thinking of ending it all. I came to see your show just because you invited me. And, you know, the next day I called a doctor and I made an appointment. And in the last couple of months, I've been on medication. I'm in therapy and I'm doing much better. I wish I had done this 20 years ago. Mm, so I'm going to pause you right there for a second and give a breath because I felt that in my body. Yeah. Um, to know that. Well, a few things. One, that you didn't get contacted until four months later. Um, it reminds me of uh, a story I'll tell you, but sometimes we think the impact or us knowing about the impact is going to be immediate. And we do get some immediate feedback, right? The right. applause, maybe it's the standing ovations or the people who come up to you right after the show. But to know that the resonance and healing of the show has lasting power that it it carries out months and probably for some people years after they've seen it and that you didn't know right yet still being vulnerable and putting that show out there allowed someone you had known but didn't quite know no <laughs> right right to feel seen and resonated in a way that allowed them to be courageous enough <clears throat> 
to get the support they needed. And I don't say that as to suggest that they weren't being courageous before, because when we are experiencing such things as depression and things, getting up is courage. Right. The fact that you've played in pits with this person and yet for 20 years they had been really struggling with it tells me that this person was extremely courageous. So I didn't mean that statement to to minimize what um, he had experienced before, but that is just so incredibly powerful. Oh me. yeah. Well, that's what we, we hold on to. I mean, when I got that email, I've saved that email just because I, you know, anytime I start feeling like, ah, uh, you know, we're not getting the show out there enough, or I'm not, you know, something's not going right, whatever. I I go back to that and say, you know, you don't know, like exactly what you said, you have no idea what might happen down the line. You might think that person is not affected at all, but they might go home and have a conversation with their sister or their mother or whatever that you don't even know about. So that's another thing that keeps us going, really. No, I understand that so much. Um, I used to travel around the country talking to middle and high school students around violence prevention. So I was um, working with an organization called Sandy Hook Promise. And I used to tell this story. um, It was for our program, uh, Start With Hello, or Say Something. I actually don't remember which, which of the programs it was. But I recalled how when I was in high school, um, a friend of mine popped in my head, right? I just thought of her. And ever since I was young, I think I've implicitly understood the importance that I don't believe in coincidence. And so if I start thinking of someone, there's a reason why. And we're talking about back in the day where there were landlines, no cell phones and all that stuff. But I thought of her. And so I picked up the phone and I gave her a call. And when she answered the phone, I just said, hey, I was thinking about you. You know, we had gone to school together and then she had left to go to a different school. And so I was like, I'm thinking about you. You know, how are you doing? Whatever that conversation was. It was pretty quick. There was really nothing significant in that moment about this conversation. And so, you know, I hung up. Um, after talking to her for a minute, but I remember telling her at the end, like, hey, you know, some version of I want you to know that I love you. And if you ever need me, like, let me know. Cool. When I tell you uh, decades passed and one time I was talking to her and I probably was, you know, we hadn't talked in a while. We were catching up and how's life and all the stuff. And then as we were getting off the phone, some similar you know, thing I wanted her to know. I, I want you to know I love you, that I think about you often. If you need anything, let me know. And she said, I know. I knew that the day back in high school when you called me, because what you didn't know is I was planning on taking my life that day. Oh my gosh. Ooh. And when you called just to tell me you were thinking about me, just to tell me you loved me, I knew someone loved me and she didn't take her life. Now, I I didn't know what was happening in her life. I had no indication of that, but it is for me the power of leaning into that. Somebody comes to your mind, you think about someone, a memory. 
we have so many methods and modes of communication. Hit them up on social media, send them an email, call them, send them a text. Because you just never know what a person is going through and how sometimes what they just need is someone to know, to know that someone knows they're alive. Right. To know that someone cares. Yeah, that's so powerful. Oh, yeah. So now let's transition as we talk about the show to maybe starting with how you and I even connected. Because I know you've been doing this show since 2015, but it sounds like there is a desire to expand it in some kinds of ways, um, getting different perspectives and stories. So maybe share with the listeners how you and I connected and what was behind all of that. Oh, yeah. Well, we've talked, especially in the past few years, about um, trying to get the show to be more inclusive. Uh, I mean, you know, mental health and addiction issues, they don't have a a color or whatnot, but we are three white women doing this show. And I do believe in the power of representation. And we've often talked, actually, I talked to a friend of mine, um, um, an African-American guy who does theater around town. I talked to him, oh my gosh, probably pre-pandemic about how much I would love for him to join the show because I he he had talked quite openly about his struggles with anxiety and depression and I said kind of would be wonderful to have someone of color in the show but he's really busy he's a very um is this by chance Darnell it is Darnell. Well, I'm shouting him out because he's a pre. Yes, you can say his name. He's a previous guest on the podcast, y'all. Oh, okay, go good. Back. Yes, go back good. and check out the episode where we talked about rest. But go ahead. So this is Darnell. Yeah. So this is Darnell, who is great. I love Darnell. He's actually on our board. We have a um, a nonprofit we started a few years ago called Stop the Stigma Productions. And Darnell is on our board. And I kept saying, God, I would love to have him on the show or Burgess. Or There's so many people that I know who also have issues with either mental health issues or, or addiction. And but, you know, they're all busy. This is my labor of love, my, you know, my passion project. I don't expect it to be everybody's. But so we finally came up with this idea that was kind of a duh, like, why did it take us so long? why don't we do a video project? Because we do have, when we do the uh, show, we have a PowerPoint behind us. We could use video of people of color, um, you know, people from the, uh, not just the black communities, but the Hispanic, Asian. Um, there's a lot of stigma in all communities uh, as far as mental health and addiction issues. And also the, um LGBTQ plus community, you know, getting them and anybody like that to make the the show more inclusive and reach a broader audience. So um, we we finally we got a grant actually from the Ohio Arts Council to do this project in which we are um, interviewing on video people of color, people from different backgrounds. Um, uh, who also have lived experience with either mental illness or um, addiction or both issues. And then what we're doing is my daughter-in-law, Lindsay, is editing everything down and she's going to show, we'll show clips throughout the live show 
of all these other people discussing their um, their experiences. And, and we hope in that way to reach a broader audience. And I guess, is it Darnell who told you about the project? He did. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we reached, we asked everybody on the board and we asked Darnell and he recommended you for the project and we interviewed you and that's how we made the connection, which yeah. I think is pretty cool. You know? It, it, you know, it is. I think the things that stick out to me and what you were just saying, one, what sticks out is creativity. Sometimes we want to do something, we want to involve other people, we want to connect with other people. But if we only look at um, kind of the way we've looked at things, like, can I get someone to come on stage with us? Right. Oh, darn, they're too busy. Can we get this? But there, it was creativity, thinking outside the box that led to a way for you to include so many more voices, so many more faces, so many more stories that may have never, never be on stage as people performing, but their words and their stories can be heard. So I also feel like that's a really good lesson for us to just take a moment and settle with. If I feel like I'm hitting a roadblock, am I being creative as I explore what options I have to kind of do the thing that I want to do, to 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 go the places I want to go. So that sticks out to me. But I also hear uh, something that I don't necessarily know that I've talked a whole lot about <clears throat> on the podcast, which is we people are the greatest form of marketing, promotion, solicitation that you'll ever find. I don't care who comes on and tells you they're a guru in social media marketing and all that stuff. I'm not minimizing the importance of it, but social media marketing is still leading you back to word of mouth. <laughs> That's oh, it. Yeah. You want somebody to see your video so they can tell somebody else. And what I'm hearing in all of this is like, hey, we asked our board if you know anybody. Hey, who would be good for this? Let them know. And so I don't know, Sherry, that you and I, that our paths would have organically crossed in the trajectories that we were going. But because you invited people to invite other people, all of a sudden you've probably met several people that you oh, yeah. have probably otherwise met or connected with. Oh, I've met so many people because we've interviewed so far uh, 15 or 16 people, um, we're trying to get more, um, you know, trying to line up more, but, uh, I've met so many people who all have really interesting stories. Um, and they're really cool people. I'm, I'm like, I'm inviting them to come see me sing and sing with me and stuff, you know, because it's just, um, it, it is, in in oh, let's see blah, 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 sorry um i'm trying to think how to phrase this like you said people that i would not necessarily cross paths with but i feel like my life is richer because i've met them and that i um i i really have enjoyed them and i you know i i have enjoyed the the interview process more than i thought more than i thought as far as like um i mean i knew i would i would like hearing other people's stories, but I've really enjoyed getting to know the people through their stories too. And that's been a really fun part of it. Um, I met one gal just the other week when we were, and uh, she's actually a Pacific Islander. I mean, from a, 
an island out in the South Pacific. And she was so adorable and fun. And I was like, oh, you got to come sing with me, you know, and it's and then, of course, we find out we both know people in common, which is is also interesting, you know, that um, all those connections, you make all the connections. And yep. I think what you are just describing as you talk about this process is the true value of diversity and inclusion. So oh, yes. We, you know, DEI, DEIA, all the things, right. right? Everybody's talking about it. And it's theoretical to so many people, to so many organizations, to so many corporations. Oh, here's the next thing. Let's make sure we can secure funding by say we're doing this. This this really right. happens, y'all. But what I heard you describe, Sherry, was the true essence of having a diverse group of people sharing their story and being included is that people are amazing <laughs> and yes. resilient and funny and they bring presents. They, they, they are gifts. We are gifts to one another. And if we continue to let systems like capitalism or white supremacy or patriarchy tell us what to value, then we will continue to devalue the very gifts that every person brings inherent to just being alive and having a passion and having a perspective and having a worldview. And so I really appreciate how you, like, as you were talking, I'm like, yes, th this, this is why we talk about diversity, diversity and inclusion. Yes. This is why equity is necessary. So I really appreciate that. I'm interested um, in kind of the generational nature of this. So your daughter is part of this production. And what I have found as a, uh, a family focusing trauma therapist is so many things pass from generation to generation. And there's often not a whole lot of conversation and honesty and transparency within the family system. What's it like to be doing such deep, like soul work with your daughter well it it's great overall i um aaron and i have always been close but um and and she's also you know we're a family of musicians and actors and all that so she from a very young age started doing theater and she's a singer songwriter she writes songs she has a couple albums out all that um and actually right now she's in Fiona at Ensemble Theater. She's playing nice. Fiona in Fiona. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. I Darnell speaks very highly. He's in it as well. Yeah. I've seen some advertising before and it looks awesome. Yeah. My daughter's playing Fiona, the baby hippo. And Darnell's playing the giraffe, who's her, like her, her enemy in the beginning, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But um, anyway, she... She unfortunately, what kind of precipitated all this was her freshman year of college. She was the victim of a sexual assault. Mm, I'm sorry. And yeah, yeah. And that is kind of what started getting her involved in the show is um, that she had her own story, which for a long time, she really could not tell it without it triggering a lot of bad stuff um and it's still difficult for her to talk about it but we uh in the show she has a segment about it and about ptsd 
and uh, sharing about how, you know, she always thought PTSD was reserved for for combat veterans, you know, for people in war. And, um, you know, it, it took a lot of work to figure out, well, no, that's exactly what she had after this assault. And um, so her telling her story is difficult. And I must admit, it's it's hard for me to hear it as her mom, you know, because as a parent, we, we try to protect our kids and she was away at college and there was, you know, I couldn't protect her. Mm-hmm. So it was very difficult in the beginning for me to hear this, but it also has brought us closer together and, I mean, we've we've done a lot of work around that, you know, um, and I mean, to her, to her credit, she she could have left school, you know, and and she said, no, I'm going to stay. Uh, that guy is not going to he's not going to ruin my college career. And she stayed on at the college and, you know, completed her degree and everything. Um but it's it's been it's been a process um but she knows that she's helping others by telling telling her story mm-hmm. um and that's another thing we find out you know after the show she always has unfortunately young women coming up to her and you know that they it seems like well the, the statistic is 1 in 3 uh, which women. is so sad. Yeah, one in three heart. women will be will be or have been um, victim victims of sexual assault. So, um, yeah, which is terrible. But that's another. That's a whole other podcast, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I just I appreciate so much that I feel like you highlighted and what you just shared, and thank you for sharing, and thank you to Erin for allowing her story to be shared. Is you know, there are consequences to helping. And I don't know that people often consider that as the helpers or those who are being helped. I think there's a a generalized philosophy or belief that a lot of people hold that, you know, people who've dedicated their lives to helping in some way well, this is what they were born to do or created to do, or they they derive pleasure and joy and fulfillment from it. And while those things are probably true for a lot of us, there is a consequence to your story being told repeatedly. That story being left to the interpretation of every single person who will read it, hear it, witness it. And filtering it through their own lived experiences and making up judgments or stories or conclusions. And as a person who I'm, I'm writing my book and it's a memoir and it is, it's hard. Yeah. It, it's hard. It's, it's not just the, the reliving of the experiences, but there's something about putting these things into a packaged form and then letting it leave you knowing that you can't control who's exactly. going to be the recipient of it. And what I appreciate what you said is like, you're doing it together that, 
Aaron went through her process of being able to share that, but you had a process as well as a mom who's not just participating, but being bearing witness to the story and all the things. I have a question and you don't have to answer it. And, <laughs> but I, I have this curiosity. Um, one is, has your family seen the show um, outside, like family that you would be talking about in the show? And if they have, what's what was their response? Well, um, unfortunately, both of my parents were gone by the time we started doing the show. Uh, gotcha. My father actually died by suicide. That was mm-hmm. another impetus for writing the show. And my mother died of ovarian cancer um, in 2005. So we didn't start the show till 10 years later. But um, so they haven't seen it. My sister has not, my sister and brother have not seen the show. They live in North Carolina. And I don't know if it's by design, (laughs) to be honest with you, I sometimes think maybe she's just avoided it because I've invited her, especially my sister, um, because she lived through a lot of the same stuff I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, my younger, she's younger, but uh, only by two years. Um, but my uncles, who are two brothers of my father's, have seen it. They came to see the show. They actually made a trip from Pennsylvania to come see the show. And um, they both... It, it was one of those things where um, right after the show, they came up and kind of gave me awkward h- hugs and and like, you know, good job. But it wasn't until later when they could actually um, talk about it because, um, you know, I was talking about their older brother yeah. and about the fact that he was a violent alcoholic who suffered from a lot of mental health issues himself. And um, so I'm sure it was sort of hard for them to hear it, but they, uh, after, I, I can't, I can't remember how long it was afterwards, but probably a month or so later, I got a very long email from one of them, their twin brothers, by the way, twins, my twin uncles. <laughs> and they, um, and the one, he was, he said, we knew things were going on. We didn't know it was that bad um, kind of thing. And he said, but it was actually a really nice email. Like he was kind of apologizing if uh, for not having known kind of thing. And I'm like, well, you, you could... nobody talked about this stuff. You keep it in the family, you know, mm-hmm. you don't, like you said. You don't, you don't share that stuff. So, um, but they reacted mostly positively then afterwards. I'm sure it was hard for them to hear. Um, but, but I think it also was good for them to hear because they both opened up to me then about the fact that both of them have been treated for mental health issues for anxiety and or depression. So, um, I think it also gave them permission to be a little more open about that, that sort of thing. You know, they grew up in a little town in Pennsylvania where you don't talk about anything anyway, you know, 
you know, <clears throat> the word I think that was coming up and then you said it, it's back to permission. Yeah. I think so often there is a manipulative, coercive, or forceful way in which our culture tries to get people to do things or not do things. Yeah. There's threats there. We, we threaten to remove things that people like it's punishment. Again, it's so forceful, manipulative, coercive. And yet what I have found time and time again, and what I hear you speaking to is some of the deepest permission people feel to be vulnerable is by bearing witness to other people's vulnerability. There is something about witnessing someone who's willing to open up, even though there's stigma and fear and anxiety around it, but do it anyway. That loosens the heartstrings, I believe, of others to go, oh my gosh, one, I'm not alone. My story doesn't have to mirror yours exactly to the details, but boy, have I felt pain, rejection, fear, alone. You know, I feel like we can be so united under the fabric of our skin and under the depth of our stories. Um, and I hear you speaking to that. And it also brings out like I I hear the outcome with your uncles and I'm glad that was the outcome, at least for the one who who connected to you, who contacted you. But there is also the reality that some of us who share vulnerably are not necessarily met with the same outcome. And that's real. People get yeah. angry. When I start to realize the depth that people will go to protect whatever, the secret, the right. the the thing, the, the family story, the image, it gets sometimes downright ugly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My... I remember talking to my sister um, when my parents were both still alive and telling her some of these things. And this is bef long before I thought about writing a show or anything, but we were talking about um, my father and my mother overheard us and she got very angry. Be uh, you know, that was that whole codependent thing. Um she said, you know, Cher, you don't have it so bad. Uh, uh, you know, your father's a good provider. You always have clothes to wear. You always have food to eat, da, 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 da. And I said, I'm not questioning that, but there's more to it, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. But she got very defensive and very angry. So I do wonder how she would have reacted had she seen the show. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I really don't know. But just from that reaction tells me that she would not have been graceful about it. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Sherry, what you're talking about reminds me, I want to shout out a past uh, podcast episode with Miranda Pacchiana that I did way back in a few years ago, The Second Wound. That is her work. And her work is resolved around the wounding that takes place when the people who are supposed to ideally be that support and safety and care for us, like our families, when they don't believe our stories, when they minimize our stories, when they gaslight us, when they when they try to say things like, well, what are you complaining about? At least at least dot 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 that second wounding 
right? And how much that hurts. So then I think about how many people have these second woundings because they've tried to talk to their families. They've tried to be honest. They've tried to do that and, and, and they're wounded. And then they come see your show. They come see your show and they see this playing out. Not only do they feel like they're not alone, but then they can come up afterwards and they can talk to you. They can talk to Kathy. They can talk to Aaron. Like that, I, I just am hoping that while, yes, you have seen feedback and maybe even some bloom of the seed you're planting, I can see how the work that you're doing is a real balm for folks who don't have the traditional community to go to. They don't have the family or the friends or the neighbors that they can go to and say, hey, and no one is coming back to them to say, man, we kind of thought something was off, but we didn't know it was that bad. They're saying, are you kidding me? Look at you. Look, 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 you went to school, you did this, you did, you know, they have all these excuses to say it couldn't have been that bad. And to know that you're producing something that is helping people to understand, yeah, it could have been that bad. It was that bad. And, and there is a possibility for healing. There's a possibility for community beyond this. That just feels so deep to me. Oh, yeah. I, uh, it's interesting. One, one of the songs I probably, I think it's the first song I wrote for the show is called Damage Done. And it's actually about my mother. Mm. Because it took me many, many years to realize my mother's role in my growing up. You know, I always thought, oh, my poor mom having to put up with my dad, right? And it it wasn't until this one woman said to me, your mother was so irresponsible. She should have gotten you out of that situation. And I, it had never occurred to me to think of my mother as having a role in this dysfunction. You know, I thought she was the one holding us all together. And then, so as an adult, and especially after I had my own children thinking, oh my God, I'd do anything to protect them. There's no friggin' way I would let them in that kind of situation, you know, and uh, that I really started to realize my mother's role. And I thought back about it and my mother had her own damage done. That's why I wrote, wrote the song. And it's about how she just, wasn't there for me, but I, I understand why, because she was told at a young age that she couldn't be who she wanted to be. Um, she was the only daughter and you know, there were three, she had three brothers and she like one Christmas, this is such a silly story, but it's also very telling. I think there was one Christmas. She told me about it much later after I'd had my kids. She said, She bought a Tonka truck for my daughter, for Erin, when she was two. And she said, you know what I bought her that? And I said, no, mom, why? And she said, well, when I was a little girl, one Christmas, all I wanted was one of those big yellow trucks like my brothers had. That's all I wanted. She said, I kept telling them that's what I wanted for Christmas. She said, I come down Christmas morning. And she said, what's for me? There's the kitchen set, the baby dolls all of that stuff. And the boys are the ones with the trucks and everything. And she said, I'll be darned if my granddaughter's going to have those kind of feelings, which I thought was pretty, you know, progressive of her. I was like, oh, good. You finally, but you know, 
So that was one thing. And then she wanted to go to art school. She was very artistic. I mean, visually artistic. Mm-hmm. She couldn't sing worth the darn, but she <laughs> she was very visually artistic. Um, and she was told, no, no, you're going to get a husband. So we're going to send you to secretarial school. Mm. Her three brothers went to college. She had to go to secretarial school. Well, you know, it was the 40s and 50s that that was the thing. So you know, as an adult, looking back on that, even though I, I can't condone my childhood, you know, for, yes. and for her not stepping in, but I can understand it and I can forgive it knowing where she came from. Mm. You speak so beautifully about this concept that I frequently talk about, especially when I'm working with families and individuals, the rightful assignment of responsibility. Our culture is very blamey and shamey. Yeah. Work with me is not about blame and shame, but it is about the rightful assignment of responsibility. When we do not rightfully assign responsibilities, we often find ourselves um, operating in two extremes. Either we keep all the responsibility to ourselves and we carry a lot of shame for what was done to us. Or we externalize the responsibility and throw it on every person we're in relationship with. It's always someone else's fault. But when we can rightly assign and rightful assignment implicitly kind of has exactly what you were talking about, empathy and understanding, compassion and curiosity, that you can say based on where she came from, I understand, I can now have understanding and even compassion for how she showed up as a mother. And I still needed and deserved better. I That's still exactly what and my song more. says. That's exactly what I say in my song. I I needed more. I understand it. I still need it. I love that that phrase, rightful assignment of responsibility. I just yeah. wrote it down. I just that's a great that's a great phrase. Yeah. And the way you described it, it's exactly that. Man, I need it more and I understand. Mm-hmm. And when we are in rightful assignment, then those moments that she had with your daughter, you can see that and go, wow, you can hold yeah. that for what it is. When we're still in blame and shame, no matter how much a person grows or changes or those those glimmers of moments when they tried, we can't, we, we don't have the capacity to have compassion for those moments because we're still in blame and and we're still in shame and shame is awful. It oh, is yeah. so heavy and dark that any opportunity to get from up under it will take it, even if it means throwing it on someone else. And so yeah. that's why I think the rightful assignment of responsibility is so huge. That means we keep what's ours. Some yes. stuff is ours. <laughs> And 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 we that's ours. That's ours to work through, to reconcile all the things. But when we can rightfully assign the responsibility that mom had to protect you, you know, from the things you went through with your dad, then all of a sudden you don't carry the shame for yourself. And then we realize that when we are, you know, unfortunately, we've transitioned into the nuclear family, you know, it's 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 devastating to me because communally. When things were happening in a, and we were being raged by a village, then we had so many people who could step in and fill in those gaps. We had places to retreat and that could help us. But with the nuclear family, this is it. And yep. that's how that stigma and shame got confined to four walls. 
because right. the village was no longer invited into our home, into our dysfunction, into our healing and all of that stuff. So I really appreciate you for following me down that line of questioning and 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 sharing because I was just interested to see like what the generational path of that was, but how beautiful and amazing that you and your daughter get to do such amazing work together as collaborators. And yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I feel very lucky that, that, uh, well, that Aaron and I are so close and, and that because of my work on myself, I mean, I went through a lot of therapy and everything, you know, as an adult, um, that I'm able to have that relationship with her and that I've also been able to stop that cycle of um, alcoholic dysfunction and and all that sort of stuff. I feel very grateful for that um, because, I mean, I couldn't have done it just me coming out of that. The, the, the odds were that I would repeat the cycle. Yeah. And, and marry an alcoholic and whatever. My husband is far, he doesn't drink at all, but um, you know, and he's very supportive and uh, a great dad and all that. So I've been very lucky um, in my life to have people around me that I could depend upon that therefore led me to be able to have healthy relationships with my kids, you know? Yes. And I do, I, I am really grateful that Erin is in the show with us. Um, her, the sections, what she does, it's so valuable. And um, it is really special to get to do a show with your, your, your daughter. I mean, the, the first show I was actually in here in Cincinnati with Aaron, I think she was eight or 10 after we moved here. And um, she, uh, we did Charlotte's web at a local community theater and she was Fern and I was her mother, mm. <laughs> you know, and even that, I mean, it was so cool to be on stage with my daughter, you know, so we've sort of come full circle, yeah, I guess. That is so beautiful. Oh, I love that. So Sherry, I'm going to ask, is there anything that we didn't talk about or hit on any message for the listeners that you really want to leave to make sure, you know, we get it or it hits home? Well, I, I think if there's any message that cannot be spoken enough, it's that you are not alone. Uh, you are never alone. There is help if you have mental health or addiction issues. And let me just say addiction is a disease and it needs to be treated as such. And there is help available. You can break the cycles of dysfunction and um, addiction and mental illness in the family. It does take work, but there there is help out there. And I just wanna make sure everybody knows all of us have a story and don't never be afraid to tell yours. Don't be ashamed. It's not your fault. Mm -hmm. That would be the main thing I would say. Beautiful message. Sherry, how can folks find you and get in touch with the, you if they want? Stop the Stigma Productions as well as where they can find info about when this production will be you know, available. Oh, yeah, our website is stopthestigmaproductions.org. Just those Three words, stop the stigma. Well, no, that's four. Stop the stigma production. Oh, God. <laughs> stop the stigma productions.org. 
And that's where we have information on the show. And there's like biographical stuff on us in the show. And, you know, and you, uh, yeah, you can find out about the show and any, we also have workshops that we give. Um, we've given workshops to the educational theater association and various corporations about mental health stuff and how to, uh, we have one workshop. The one that I like the best is the write your own story one where we go in and we help other people know what questions to ask and, and how to write their own stories. And so, uh, so yeah, if you have any questions, go to the website. Love it. So you all know that we're going to have that information in the show notes. Sherry, I just want to give a nod of appreciation for you taking the time to come and share your labor of love and yourself with me and my listeners today. I genuinely appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful you asked me to come. It's so nice to talk to a like-minded person. Yes. <laughs> so y'all, I'm going to do my usual shout outs. Uh, sending so much love to my producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media. Trey Angel, who provides all of the music. Stephanie Gis Spencer, who does the social media stuff. And Mike, I said, my co-host, Hedy Nam, uh, the Labors of Love team. We're just so grateful for y'all. Um, at the time of this coming out, the Spotify... Um, what is it called, Jay? Wrapped. Spotify Wrapped came out, you know, where they tell you who you listen to and what you listen to. And on our end, it tells us how many people are listening. And I just want to say we are so grateful. And this is only data from Spotify. 83% of our listeners listen on Apple Podcasts. So we don't actually have real numbers. But to know that there are 100 and some, 180 some people who we're their top 10 podcasts and 50 people that we are their number one listen to podcast on Spotify. It just, just know that we don't take these as just numbers. This is a, not about productivity. This is about knowing that our labors of love are resonating with you all. So to the listeners, as always, I love y'all so much. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. Um, suggestions for guests or topics, hit up the website and we take those as well. Until we connect again, you all be well. <laughs>